0: And now, here is our message. Good morning, Thrive. Happy 4th of July. Wow.
1: This is the best turnout on a 4th ever, so thank you. Um, uh, it's good that service is in the morning and not like 9 p.m., you know, especially on the 4th of July. Um, but uh, it's a great day. Like, the 4th of July is such a, such a celebration, it's that midpoint of summer, you know, you don't have to go back to school yet, right? You don't have to, well, some of you have to go back to work tomorrow, but some of you don't, um, and it's, it's just a good time. We're in a new series today, uh, we're, going, we're going to walk through the book of Colossians, um, and so the series is called Colossal because God does big things, and, and the book of Colossians talks a lot about that, but specifically Jesus God does big things in Jesus, okay? So we believe God does big things. We don't, that doesn't mean we think everything's gotta be mega, like we don't have to be a mega church or have a lot of money or things, but God does big things. And, and we think those are bigger than just material things, right? And those, those are transformational. Those are transformational, amazing things. And that's what happens with Jesus. Jesus transforms the world forever. And if you don't think so, um, we are literally split in half. The world is... America exists uh, largely in part to Jesus Christ coming. Now, long down the line, right, there's a lot of things that happen. I'm not... Don't get me wrong. I'm not weird. I'm not saying America's the new Jerusalem. That's weird stuff. We don't believe that stuff. Um, we just. It's a direct result of the Reformation who were followers of Jesus who discovered some things in the church that they thought... Uh, were different. So there was a break in the church uh, about 500 years ago, and that was a guy by the name of Martin Luther and the Reformers. Before that, right, how many people were, are, or know somebody who's Catholic? Raise your hand, right? That's everybody in the room because you live in Chicago, (laughs) and everybody's Catholic somewhere. Somehow we're all connected back to it. So does anybody know what the word Catholic means? Church. It means church. You know, or church universal. So, so before, before 500 years ago, there was not two like sects of Christianity. There wasn't like a Protestant and Catholic. There was just the church. And, and the reason why it breaks, it's not because, not because, um, well, the reason why it breaks is because somebody stands up and, and then more and more men and women of God said, you know, I believe some things that we've gotten off biblically and that's where we are. And then you could go all the way back to the person of Jesus Christ, literally split time in half. Now, if you're in school now, and I remember discovering this for the first time like 10, 12 years ago. Anybody here remember the first time you saw Common Era and before Common Era, B.C.E. and C.E.? Is this the dumbest way of trying to bring secularism uh, into the historic timeline? Anybody here remember B.C. and A.D.? Right, that's still what it is, okay. Uh, and because Jesus split time in half, no matter any what any which way we like to spin it, we can trace the Gospels and the anti- and the authenticity of that antiquity. Jesus splitting time in half. He comes. When, the, when time breaks in half into a new beginning. And that's what happened. Jesus has changed the world. Whether you believe in him or not, he has changed the world. And if you disagree with that, then you just disagree with history. Jesus changed the world. Um, and one of the, one of the people, he did, it was a colossal thing, right? The world has never been the same since Jesus. Can you, whether you believe in him or not, can you agree with that? Has the world ever been the same? Okay, so one of the guys who Jesus changed his story so much was a guy by the name of John Newton. Anybody here ever heard of him? The reason why I'm, I've been telling some stories at the beginning of my sermons now to lead in, mainly because my family requested that I stop telling so many stories about them. So John Newton, um, John Newton was a young man, uh, grew up in England, and long story short, in his life he became a slave trader. At one point, he was himself sold into slavery on the west coast of Africa. He went into the, into the Navy and, and basically rebelled against authority. If anybody on the 4th knows anything about serving in the military, rebelling against authority doesn't usually go over well, right? In the military, you rebel against authority, you go to prison. Or in this case, sold into slavery. So those who were in the military could have been worse, right, if he rebelled, he, he sold into slavery, gets, eventually gets out of slavery, becomes a slave trader himself, which seems backwards, doesn't it? How do, you, how do you, like, I was a slave, and I realized there's good money to be made in slavery. That's what happens to him. But, but here's what happens over time. Um, God does not work in his life, and he gets saved. Now, he doesn't immediately re- see his life changed and reformed. But slowly over time. And that's what God does in all our lives. There are times God explodes in our lives, and then there are times God kind of evolves us. He does both, right? God does moments, and he does miles, so in this, he has these great moments, but then he has this mileage that God is, the Holy Spirit is working on his life. And what happens over time is he moves from that into becoming an abolitionist, into somebody who now fights against slavery and stands against it. And he eventually becomes a very famous hymn writer. One of the famous hymns that he wrote, there's a cross filled with blood. But the most famous hymn he wrote, does anybody know? Amazing grace. Amazing grace. In that first line, right? That saved a wretch like me. See the progress of the Holy Spirit working on his life over time in the, began to realize not only should I not trade this was a wretched act. I'm a wretch. What was I doing? How did this happen? See, God transforms him over time. God gets a hold of him, and then God molds him. What God does in our lives, what Jesus can do in a life, is unbelievable. Anybody here ever heard that story? When, when, when you came to Christ and someone like, you're just so different now. What happened to you? Or, or or you've known Christ a while, but then God does this bigger work in your life. He does more transformation. He just starts shifting things. And people are like, Why are, wh- you're different now. What's going on? Why is this happening? And you're like, man, Jesus, he's just getting a hold of me. And that's a lot of what happens. That's what Jesus does, and that's what Colossians talks about. The power and the person of Jesus. And then what he does in a city and a place... And so we're going to do a deep dive a little bit into Colossians, but then we're also going to apply it. So as we do, I want to, uh, there's something, there's a video I think that unpacks Colossians pretty well. And I want to take a look at that so you can kind of begin to understand what we're talking about. Who, who are the Colossians? What's Colossae? Where do, what's going on there? So take a look at this and you'll get kind of an idea.
2: Let's start it over, guys. Paul is in a prison in Rome. Epaphras, a good friend, comes to visit him and shares about his grief. He had founded a church in Colossae, a city in the Roman province of Asia. Uh, today we call this region Turkey. The congregation consisted of a mix of Gentiles and resettled Jews. Actually, everything was going quite well. But then problems came up. Epaphras had prayed a lot about it at first, but then in search for wisdom He packed his things and went to the Apostle Paul to discuss the matter in detail So what was the problem with the local church in Colossae? Okay, to explain the whole situation we must first simplify the whole religious and philosophical universe generalizing there are three main groups in humanity, and therefore also three main schools of thought in this world. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 32, Give no offense to the Jews, or the Greeks, or to the Church of God. So the Jews would be the conservatives on the right, while the Greeks are the leftist liberals. And the third group, the Ekklesia, the Church of God, has nothing to do with either, because it is not of this world, but heavenly. The Ecclesia has its own system of thought, which does not come from people, but from God Himself. Now, because the Colossians were a mix of both Jews and Greeks, that is, non-Jewish influenced by Greek philosophy, they had problems in both directions, to the left and to the right. Not very cool, but even better for us, because we can see how the Holy Spirit, through Paul, brings both systems of thought under the obedience of Christ or, in other words, how he dwarfed both the right and the leftist reasonings. But before we dive into the details, let's zoom out and place this letter not only in its historical context, but also his biblical context. We will see how God used historical and geographical events to write a letter which is still relevant for you today in the 21st century. Not only that, but he also fits these writings into a broader spectrum of teaching and doctrines. And this is perhaps the most important part of all. So let's compare the letter to the Colossians with Romans and Ephesians. And let's see what that will bring. We have already taken a good look at the book of Romans. And there we learn how sinful man can be justified before a holy God. The core lesson is that we should not try to ferociously punch ourselves into becoming Mr. Perfect, puffing up our ego on how we are a splendid human being who keeps the law throughout our own efforts, but that we must die and be buried with Christ. In Ephesians, the Christians are already considered dead and are resurrected to sit with Christ in the heavenly places. So what we lack is a real link that closes the gap between these two letters. And this is where Colossians comes in. Colossians 2.12 says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. This verse connects the two letters in Romans logic, while the following verse connects them in Ephesians logic. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made a life together with him, having forgiven us of all our trespasses. Another point of comparison is the ecclesia, the church, and how each of these individual letters talk about it. In Romans, the church is described as a body with many members, while in both Colossians and Ephesians, we see the church through a head-body relationship point of view. The Lord Jesus being the head of the church and the church, the body. In the letter to the Ephesians, the focus is on the members of the body, while in Colossians, the focus is the head. And there's a good reason for this. However, we will approach that in our next video. All you must keep in mind for our next video is that there are problems in Colossae, Jewish legalism and Greek thinking and philosophy. And also, very important, that the letter speaks in the overall biblical context of Christ as the head of the body. Not too hard, or? All right. See you then in the next video. All right. That's already uh, the end of the intro for Colossians. Thank you so much for watching. Uh
1: all right, so the idea is there is this river town church that God has moved in, and it's kind of diverse, and it's mixed between those who are Greek and those who are Jewish. But prob- the problem is it's getting overtaken by this mentality that you either adopt Greek philosophy or Judaism and some of the old laws. And, it's, and, and so much so, this guy Epaphras is saying, I, I don't know what to do. And so he goes all the way to Rome to see Paul in prison, say, hey, what do I do? So Colossians chapter 1, we're just going to read through verse 14. This letter's from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus, and from our brother Timothy. We're writing to God's holy people into the city of Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. We always pray for you. And we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You've had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epiphras, our beloved co-worker. He's Christ's faithful servant, and he's helping us on your behalf. He's told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you, so we've not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you'll li- uh, you'll, you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you'll grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you'll be strengthened, and that His glorious power, so you'll, you will have the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to His people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sin. All right. The first thing he says, okay, we're going to go just line by line, breaking it through. Verse 2, he says, may God give you grace and peace. There's more to it than just those two words there. A lot of people hear grace and peace. They actually mean a little bit more. He's writing to these people, and and I want to put this quote up. I I believe uh, it's from N.T. Wright. He says, Paul's writing with one great desire, that they should grow into full Christian maturity. It's in the light that his greeting is to be understood grace and peace to you from our Father. This is an adaptation of conventional greetings. Grace sees Christian life and growth as the free gift of God. Peace, with the overtones of the Hebrew word salome, Encompasses not merely personal peace of mind and heart, but all the wider blessings and belonging to, excuse me, wider blessings of belonging to God's covenant family. There's, there's kind of two, there's like a two-handedness here. God, he wants him, let me say it another way, not just grace and peace, freedom and fullness. Let me say on this 4th of July, freedom is not the government's idea or America's idea. Freedom is God's idea. Is America the culmination of that? No, Jesus is. Can America reflect that? Absolutely. Have we messed up with that at times? Of course we have. One thing I don't believe in, I don't believe in the whole idea of deconstructing our country because it's not been free for everybody, 24 7, all the time, everywhere. And here's what's really funny to me, so then let's let government figure it out. Isn't government the one who did the things that you're upset about in the first place? Because government doesn't afford our freedoms. God does. That's actually something that's in our constitution, right? An inalienable right, did we live up to it all the time? We did not. Are we fully living up to it now? Probably not. Can we improve? Sure. Is anybody here living fully free in every possible way in your life? You have no struggles. You have no regrets. You have no things you think you wish you didn't do. Anyone? (laughs) Nobody's fully free because we're all broken. We're all walking into our freedom and walking it out better. I believe this country's done that. I do not believe, nor will I ever believe, patriotism is wrong. I believe it's godly to a point. Is there a thing as unhealthy nationalism? Sure. Sure. I don't think it's a major problem in this country. It is for some people. But I don't think it's the leader. I think freedom is is a reflection of the character of God. Now, it's not talked about extensively in this book. You really want to read about that in the Bible. Read the book of Galatians. Over and over, he's talking about it's for Christ's sake, free, it's for freedom's sake that Christ set us free. God's a big fan of freedom and the creator of it. Now, we can abuse freedom. For sure. We can mess up freedom. But that doesn't make it freedom's fault. It makes it our fault. Right? Right? So, and the mistake is, right now, there, there's a whole generation being told freedom is somehow a white man creation, and it's actually a problem, which is lunacy. Freedom is God's creation. It has nothing to do with race. It has nothing to do with nationality. It doesn't even have to do with our country. It has to do with the character of God. And I believe in any and all nations to reflect the character of God. Do I want a theocracy? Yeah, if God's in charge of it, not people. <laughs> but we already belong to a theocracy, and it's called the kingdom of God. If you know Jesus, that's where your and I's citizenship lies. We, we live here. We belong there. Got it? We live in America. Is it okay to honor our country and be a patriot? You bet. But it's not where I belong to Jesus. Right? I live in a house in my neighborhood. I don't belong to it. I mean, my HOA dude says I do, but I don't. <laughs> right? Okay? So, so, but he wants us. God wants you free. And, and I do believe it's right in a healthy, nonviolent way to stand for freedom. I believe that's a good thing. I don't believe you can force freedom on others. Right? You can't force somebody to be free. You ever try to get somebody off of drugs, alcohol who didn't, didn't want to be? Doesn't go so well, does it? Usually gets gets pretty ugly, it gets messy, right? So don't do that. Okay. But God is pro-freedom. But God is mostly pro-freedom, not yes, on a national level, sure, but more so on an individual level. He wants you and I to live free. No matter what happens. Paul, this guy was writing this from prison. So at the moment, he was not free by our standards. But he knew, no matter where I am, I'm free because I'm in Jesus. They can imprison me, I'm still free. Because ultimately, most importantly, freedom is an issue of the heart and of the mind. We walk that out. We live that out in Jesus. And that's, that's what he's saying to Colossians. Hey, be free. And not only that, don't just be free. Have the fullness of God. Live fully in Jesus. A lot of people live their Christian life, especially in the Western nations, in sections and portions. They they, 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 they meter out their Christianity instead of God allowing the fullness of. Right? How many people have, have criticized pastors and speakers who... They're they're mad because they only ever preach on this one thing, and they don't say anything else. They preach on encouragement, but they never talk about sin. You know, they they preach on God blessing you, but they never talk about God carrying you through struggle. Or they preach on sin, but they never say anything encouraging. The reason why you're frustrated about that, that's part of the character of God. The peace that comes in God is the fullness and the wholeness of knowing Jesus, and not just portions of him. Right, A healthy church focuses on the whole of Scripture, not parts of it. Now, we're all good at some things and better at others, right? There are churches, you're always going to find churches excel at some things and, and worse at others. That's fine, but we still strive to be holistic in our walk and, and pursuit of Jesus. You know, a while ago, and I, I'm, not, I'm not picking on him, but Andy Stanley said in one of his books you know, in order to reach the lost, basically we should, and this is his quote, unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. That is incorrect. (laughs) Don't write that down. Okay? Don't take that with you. Okay? Now, Andy Stanley has done a lot of great things in ministry over a lot of years. We even sing some of his songs that came out of his church here. But that idea is not holistic. It's an idea that, well... We need to reach lost people, and that's really what it's about, so let's, you know, let's put that, let's put that away in the attic, and if they're, if they hang out in our house long enough, we can show them what's in the attic. No, this is not Scientology, and we don't ascend to certain levels, where then we show you where the aliens are coming back to the earth. We don't do that. (laughs) Now, that being said, that being said, does it all center around Jesus? Yes, of course it does. And you can't understand the Old Testament without Jesus. You really can't. You can't understand the New Testament without Jesus. And you can't understand today, tomorrow, or yesterday without Jesus. It's about Him. And that's what this book is all about, the supremacy of Christ. And we're going to talk about that over the next few weeks. I'm excited about it. But, but the idea of portioning out because, because Jesus. No, no, no. If Jesus believes the Old Testament, so do we. And he did. He quoted it. A lot. (laughs) You know? He says, I'm the living word. He's the embodiment of what the Bible is, of who God is. If he doesn't throw it out, why are we? If he doesn't unhitch from it, we shouldn't. And we're with him. So, but whatever it is. Some of you, like, sin is not something you talk about that much. Well, Jesus talked about sin. Jesus used the word repentance. After John went to prison, it, it says that Jesus took up his ministry that said repent. Some of us we don't like the word repent. That sounds harsh. It's mean. Let's be nice. <laughs> you know what's? We just my wife and I we got away this week and we went up to we went up to uh, where where she's from where we lived many years Madison Wisconsin Madison very very. Um, not conservative town, <laughs> very, very, uh, very left type politics. And one of the things they have there, there's a there's a park, and the t- side of town we used to live on. We watch; it's really diminished. It's struggling. A lot of the its struggle has just come from enabling a brokenness. So, so for example, in one park in a very nice side of town, there's a tent city now. It's all; it's just homeless people living there in tents. So it was used to be a nice park. You can't. But not only that, um, there's there's businesses nearby that very successful businesses, a large large health club and stuff that we used to uh, belong to. A friend of ours co-owns and and, uh, and 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 they around their property use needles, feces. Now this is done in the name of compassion, but is it compassion? To let somebody live in filth, addiction, and mental illness. Is that compassion? No. It's metered out compassion. It's not the fullness of compassion. It's misunderstood and misapplied compassion. To say that sin doesn't exist in Christianity is not to live out Christianity. To say that there is no joy and blessing is not to, because there's that side of the aisle too. There's the people who are like, we never talk about joy and blessing because, you know, it's about suffering. No, it isn't. It's about Jesus. It's not about, does Jesus bless us? Yeah, you can say it louder. Yeah. Does Jesus call us out on our sin? Yes, both. It's a mistake to cut parts out. And that's what Paul's actually telling this church, hey, live totally free, but also live in the fullness of this freedom. I want that for you. This is his introduction before he gets into the nitty gritty. I want God's best for you. And part of that's freedom and part of that's fullness. And then he goes, and, then we've, and we have heard about what God's doing in your church. Let me tell you this, a good new, the good news, which is the gospel, and a good church brings great impact, they are shaking the world around them by following Jesus well. They're struggling through some stuff. They're wrestling through some stuff. But I'm telling you, a great church makes great change happen. Does great things in a community and beyond, right? They, they just do. That is awesome. One of us is never as, uh, as nearly as strong as all of us, Right? I believe in a great sense, America's done a lot of great things for the world the last couple hundred years. I believe it has. Are we at almost 250 now, right? 220, yeah, 2025, is that 250? No, t- 2026, right? Something in there, somewhere. <laughs> I believe America has. Have we also messed up along the way? You bet. For sure we have. There's kind of a neat story if the, at the end of World War II, not the end, I'm sorry, the middle of World War II, before we got in it. Pearl Harbor is bombed. Now, you should know, Winston Churchill, the Prime Minister of England, has been begging America to get involved, and FDR wants nothing to do with it. Why? Because no president, good or bad, as a rule, wants to go to war. Economic f- fallout. But more than that, lives. And who, does anybody here want to answer for lost lives? And have to make that, I don't ever want to have to make that call. Last year and a half in Corona sucked as a pastor. We don't gather, we do. What if somebody dies? Yeah, that's a good question. And FDR is having that problem. But here's what happens. They bomb Pearl Harbor and the telegram, uh, telegraph, whatever it was, gets to Winston Churchill and he runs into the room and he says, we've won the war. We've won the war. And they're like, what happened? And they go, they bombed Pearl Harbor. And everybody's like, what? That doesn't seem like it's good news. <laughs> Definitely doesn't seem like we won. And he goes, don't you understand? They've woke the sleeping giant. And sure enough, that was the moment that the war switched because once we got in on it, right? America has done good for the world. That doesn't mean we belong. That doesn't mean like, America, that's God's nation. All nations are God's nations for those who belong to Him. That's what it's about. But is it it good to say, God has blessed this nation in some way? Absolutely. Have we needed to correct some things and still do? Absolutely. But what's amazing is we brought great impact to that war. More so, a great church changes lives and nations. And the church, together, shakes the world. Do you realize you and I are sitting here today because of 120 people sat in an upper room and kept seeking God after Jesus ascended into heaven. And then when the Holy Spirit came down, even then, people weren't like, we want in. They were like, you're drunk. (laughs) And one guy stepped up and said, no, 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 no. Let me tell you what's happening. And as they preached the gospel, they changed the world in a moment. It was awesome. That's God's will for you. He wants you to make sure other people hear. If you think it's not my job to share about Jesus... You are not living holistically biblical. You're not a full-on New Testament believer. Now, it's not our job to save people. Jesus saves, right? We share. Jesus saves. That's one of the reasons we stayed open. We believe you can meet Jesus at church. Crazy idea, I know. (laughs) But we believe it's possible. And it'll shake the earth. When somebody's life... Changes in Jesus. I've never seen it. Let me, let me say it this way when somebody comes to know Jesus, somebody else always comes to know Jesus. Almost always. How many of you, right, when, when you came to a church that you're like, man, I love that place, you want somebody else to come to that church, right? And that doesn't mean it's for everybody. When you come to know Jesus, He changes everything. How do you not invite other people? Well, that's private. Then I don't know if you've met him. It's too good to keep secret. The challenge, though, is he's saying, I want you to hear the right things and not the wrong things. And he's going to get into that, but they are getting into some of the wrong things. They're hearing some of the wrong things. They're hearing like, you know, you got to obey all the Old Testament laws to follow Jesus. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. It's Jesus, period. He saves us. He forgives us. He redeems us. He changes us. It's him. Some of us we do the same thing now. It's Jesus plus going to church. We go to church because Jesus is the head of the church and we're part of it. Not because this get this doesn't get you to heaven. Jesus is the only thing that gets us to heaven. Okay? Good preaching doesn't. Helps, but it doesn't get you there. Okay? All right. Whatever it is, and it's also not Jesus plus the social gospel. right? Some are like, give everything away. There was a few years ago, right? It was like, those people shouldn't have all that stuff. They should have given away, and give it to the gospel. Well, there's two people who said that in the Bible, right? Jesus said it to one guy, to the rich man. You should sell it all and follow me. And that guy went away sad, like, yeah, that's it. Rich people are going to hell. <laughs> that's like the view. There's one other person who said it, and that was Judas. He said, hey, that money should be sold and given to the poor. Because the issue is an issue of the heart. Prosperity doesn't save and neither does poverty. Jesus saves. And that's the wholeness of it. And we're supposed to tell people and stop listening to anything else. The church in its effort to constantly reach the world and adapt to all of it has unfortunately adopted some of it. Now, right, now you can't, you're not supposed to not be racist, you're supposed to be anti-racist. Adopt the cause. Man, I, I'll fight racism wherever it pops up if I can. But if you're going to tell me you are the one who tells me what my sins are or are not, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'm sorry, that's a false religion. I don't believe that inside the church and I don't believe it outside the church. And the same thing can happen on both sides, Right? It can happen on every side. There is no side of the aisle that keeps itself out of trouble. That's why we'd say, I'm not in the aisles. I belong to Jesus. I'm in the kingdom. That is where my allegiance lies, and this is where I live. It's kind of like this. My family is the kingdom of God, and I have friends that are in the world. There's things I vote for and like and prefer but where I belong to, right? That's Jesus. And then the last thing, the last section I want to say is he prays that God gives him his will. His will as opposed to mine. There's an implication there. Our will or our, our will. Or his will. We can't have both, can't have the way I want it and the way he wants it, unless he's aligned our will with his. God's will is usually not the same as ours. How many of us want God to thoroughly bless our lives and to also be very, very comfortable? Doesn't happen. Not, not really. You know, and if you're like, I just want an easy chair of Christianity where my feet are up. And and people are bringing me drinks with umbrellas uh, all the way up to the gates of heaven, and then and then it just continues, and I feel even better, <laughs> right? Just just an accelerant of awesome, <laughs> you know, all the way to the end. That is not the walk with Jesus Christ. And if you think that it is, read the Bible, read the New Testament. On this side, this guy's writing it from prison, prison. Disease comes. People die. It's awful. It's a broken world. Jesus is good. Life is up and down. And he'll carry you. He'll pull you through. He'll hold you together. But his will is him, not ours. I know people, I know, I've known some, I've even known some people over the years, like I've, I've seen some wives over the years who like, they want their husbands to be pastors and leaders and men of great influence, but also make a lot of money and be home all the time. And it's like, that, those, those things don't exist. And if they do, you will end up on an episode of Dateline. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> right? I've seen it. It does <laughs> it just doesn't happen. This world is broken. Some of us guys, right, like I want to be able to fish or hunt and go golfing and spend a lot of time with my buddies, but also be an amazing father. Guess what? You're not going to get both of those. Just not. You're going to have to choose hobbies or your family because you might not be able to have both. I can have both. Just balance. Okay. But golf takes like six hours. (laughs) Like, more power to you, and there's nothing wrong with golf. I'm just saying, I know guys with seven hobbies, and, and they're like, yeah, no, I just love this stuff. But they're not a great dad, right? They're great at their hobbies, but they're not fully there. You can't do both, right? That's, that's the fallenness of this world. We don't have forever to have full enjoyment of all those things, but we do find ourselves in Christ being full, being whole. That that's where it is. It's in Him. It's not in the pursuit of all these other things. I, I, you know, like I've tried golf, and I'll still try golf. I like it. I'm terrible, terrible, right? Now you guys wouldn't know this, but if you go out, there are certain pastors, like I'll go out and they just go in golfing or a top golf. And I know for the next two hours, I am going to learn so much about humility. <laughs> because these guys are all good, really good. And I am kidding you, not kidding you, if I make contact with the ball and it leaves my current just area, <laughs> the spirit is on me in that moment. <laughs> Like, because it's just not, it's just, I'm just not good. Why? I am a slow learner in a lot of things. I do not learn fast. Okay? So many things. By the time my last kid graduated high school, I'm going to be a great dad. <laughs> my first, thank God, he's living. <laughs> right? It's just the way it is. It's just how it, I'm just not, so I don't have the time and the money to get great at golf, but It's fine. Because I want God's will as opposed to mine. That's what matters. Another another way of saying it, he says his wisdom, God's wisdom as opposed to ours. He says that in those verses. He asks for God's wisdom for them. Our wisdom says, I want this, plan for that, do these things. Now, let me let me let me give you this example. I just recently read this today, and I'm I'm not trying to speak like against or for, but I, I just read this week, and I, I can pull it for you if you really don't believe me. Okay, but this week I saw that the greatest climate change, the warming of temperatures that we've seen over the last hundred years happened in the first 50 years of the century, not the last. And just so you know, from the 1970s to now, it went from global cooling to global warming to climate change. Now, I'm not saying that it exists or doesn't exist. It's right or wrong. What I'm telling you is science fluctuates as they learn more stuff right? I'm not going to get into it all, but how do, how many people would say what we knew about COVID in January 2020 to now is different? If you're not raising your hand, you're a liar, (laughs) right? Okay. That's not asking you to take a political opinion. Okay. I'm not asking you to, I'm just saying, has it changed? Yes. Okay. In March of 2020, my wife and I got on a plane and came back And went to a conference filled with thousands of people. We were fine. January 21, we got it. Sucked. (laughs) Why? I don't know. What I do know is scientists don't know all things, but that's man's wisdom versus God's. Man's wisdom fluctuates and goes up and down. God's doesn't. It doesn't move. Which is why I, we are, I am, at the place where I said, I, I, when somebody says, believe the science, I'm always like, so that's not really scientific as a statement. Because science, the whole idea of science is it's meant to be questioned. Constantly investigate. Do I trust science? I take science as a great form of information to be heeded and learned from but I believe the Word of God. See the difference? Science is valuable. Bible and science, not not at odds. But the Bible is truth. Science is the seeking of information. And there is a vast difference. Is there scientific truth in the Bible? Yeah, there is. But is it scientific truth front to back? No, but it's not meant to be. It's truth. And that we can, that's God's wisdom. It's trusting Him. And He's telling them, like they had at that time, Greek reasoning. And He's telling them, you're buying into some Greek philosophy. You're buying into some weird stuff. Stop it. He's saying it very nicely and pastorally, but He's kind of saying, yeah, we're, we're, you're being weird. <laughs> and then God's understanding. Versus my judgments and worries. He asked for God's understanding. God's understanding means I see everything in life in light of who he is. Not in light of who I am. Is there anything wrong with an Enneagram test or a personality test? Or, uh, or uh, knowing you're an introvert or an extrovert. Nothing wrong with that. But that's not our understanding of who we are. We now define ourselves by who Jesus is and what he's done in our life. God forbid somebody's called to be an evangelist and they think, well, I'm an introvert, so I must not be called to that. God's call is bigger than your personality. God forbid you love speaking, but God has called you to serve. And you you don't want to do that. You want to be seen. And I'm not telling you what your call is. I don't know. That's between you and the Holy Spirit. Just all around who and what defines you, when you're focused on Him, you're not able to focus anymore on distractions, discouragements or deceptions you're changed what if Jesus was our everything not just our part of something what if God isn't part of your life what if God is your life what if He's everything what if you can't stop thinking about it? What if you pray just a lot? <laughs> Some of, so like those people are weird. <sighs> do you remember, do you remember when, and if you've never had this, someday you'll get there, okay? But that, that person, like if you're married that day, that season, you were just enamored and in love with the person Married, like just head over heels, like you couldn't almost think straight. You couldn't work. You couldn't. Just it just consumed everything. You know, I had jobs I lost because I just had to be with, be with her. It's not, it's not healthy. But <laughs> this is, doesn't happen now. I'm not that in love. Now. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm joking. Relax. But you know what I'm talking about. Man, uh, and, and we can't live there. We can't stay there, and that's a good thing because being employed is good, right? <laughs> and well, what a beautiful season that is. You know, like, they're just in love. It'll, it's just awesome. Cheer them on. And, and, and they'll balance out. It'll come. And we foster that relationship with life. Well, our, what if our relationship with Jesus was just that enamored? Most of the time, just, man, you're so good. You love me so much. You're such a phenomenal God. Think about that. Jesus calls you to freedom and his fullness. He wants you to be found in his will. But just stay focused on it. Enamored. And if you are, you're going to stay free. You're going to stay full. You're going to be found in His will. And that cycle just keeps going and growing. There's no end to life in Jesus.